I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Go with that. Um, okay, yeah. So we're here again, still L.A. It's been uh, what a fucking whirlwind uh, the last few days have been. It's been solid. Oh, God, we're what really a- taking in all of the city. We like, have driven so much. I think I've probably put in close to a thousand miles in the last few days. Dude, we've been here. We've been here for what three days, and so far we've been Silver Lake, Burbank. San, Santa Barbara, Santa Monica, Santa Monica, Venice Mal- Beach, Malibu, Malibu, mm. West Hollywood, <laughs> West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills. What's so crazy is that it's most people don't place. drive in LA. So I'm really surprised to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. like, wait, what? I feel yeah. like, doesn't everybody a, drive? <laughs> the walking culture here is just so huge. Well, you <laughs> actually yeah. are in a decent walking neighborhood yeah. compared to most places. That's actually yeah. what I hear. I hear like here and like Venice is pretty, pretty decent for walking. Mm-hmm. Well, we were down in Venice last night and I was <laughs> like, holy shit, look at all the people walking around. This is crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. The thing about Venice is you live there and you don't go anywhere else. Yeah. And you're on your bike and you walk and you have this local life. Yeah. But then people like me who live on the east side never, you know, I have to go to Venice to see my Venetian friends. <laughs> my, 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 uh, my girlfriend, my girlfriend was down here on a, on a bachelorette, uh, like six months ago and they stayed in Venice nice. and she was like, oh yeah, like I'm, don't really know any, any other part of the city, just Venice. Just like stuck they, here they, the they just, time. they just parked in Venice and that was yeah. that. Which, which I, you know, I have to say, I'm glad that we didn't pull that on this trip. I mean, I, I guess we weren't really, we weren't like, it wasn't possible. We kind of had to go everywhere, but yeah, it was great. Our work like took us everywhere. Yeah. So, um, Ethan, uh, how do you say your last name? Is it Lipitz? It's Lipsitz. Lipsitz. Mm-hmm. I was like Lipshits, Lipitz, Lipsitz. I've heard, I've heard it all. Mm-hmm. Lip yeah. sits. Did Lip you get sits. Did, did you get made fun of uh, with that name growing up? Absolutely not. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking yeah, about I've or never, why. Nobody has ever made fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, what do you do? What do you do here in LA? You uh, generally just a human being. Yeah. Um, but when I'm not, I am an artist and a facilitator. I have a podcast like you guys. You do. It's called uh, Extremist Love Radio. Love Extremist Radio. Love yeah. Extremist Radio. Well, so I started a movement <clears throat> called Extremist Love uh, all about uh, really kind of confronting extremist hate and thinking about what that might look like to offer the opposite. That's and cool. over time that's evolved into a lot of other things. Um, and we'll get into how deeply I've become an activist for love. Mm. But I would say... That's my current status is I'm a love activist. Sweet. I'm also a company founder and an artist and an entrepreneur and you know, do a lot of different things, mingle my put my dip my toes in different. That's pots. pretty that's pretty yeah. 
fucking rad. Like I, that's a cool title, a love activist. But um, how did you, how did you get into that? Like, what, what, what was the impetus for for starting this love activism? Yeah. So, well, it started when I went and saw a talk. My friends put on a series of talks, and they brought out a former neo-Nazi to talk with a guy from the Department of U.S. Homeland Security, and they were talking all about how. The American government does all these things to track extremism and to try to nip it in the bud so people don't go join ISIS or become neo-Nazis mm-hmm. when they live rel- relatively you know, privileged lives. And so they do a lot of technology tools and things to, to try to address these groups. And I raised my hand kind of as the jokester and said, so what are you guys doing to address extremist love? Because you're doing all these great things to address extremist hate, but like, how are you supporting that? And to me, it almost, I knew the answer was going to be nothing, but I felt like, why is our government and our institutions not investing in love as the alternative and more attractive option to joining a hate group? Because really the same, it's the same intention when someone gets involved in a community of like-minded individuals, they're looking for love. They're looking for connection. They're looking for acceptance, right? Like as human beings, when we die, the two questions we ask are, did I love and was I loved? And to me, that's not just about partnership. That's about the world. That's about communities. That's about ourselves. And so all of this started to kind of swell around in my head. And then I started to study. I started to read Bell Hooks, I started to read uh, Eric Fromm, these scholars who write about love specifically and love beyond partnership. I also read a lot about partnership too. and Like beyond romantic partnership, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly, yeah. And obviously that's the most common way we refer to love when we think of it. But I really think love has been misunderstood uh, by our society for a while. Mm-hmm. And we're not really taught what it is. The definitions always kind of, you know, it's a feeling or, you know, it's, it's this thing that evades us. And so, yeah, I went on this quest to discover what the definition is. And we almost all have different definitions and different experiences. And yet we crave it, right? We all mm-hmm. are looking for it. We want it or, or, or it's part of our vernacular. And, and so that just became, and, and, and so I, that happened in 2015, a couple of years later, I suffered a seizure in my sleep and found a brain tumor in my head. And you found it. You found the brain tumor. Well, there was a CAT scan. There was oh, a whole, oh, got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. A little help. It was yeah. It was a group effort. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Got love for all the people involved in that. Um, and so that discovery led me to kind of the real, the awakening that what I had been onto as a love activist before was actually like the only reason for being. And if you get to the root of all the decisions I realized I had made in my life, they were all really in search of love and acceptance uh, within myself and then within communities and within others. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that that's the case for most people. Mm-hmm. Even if they seem like the most hateful, evil individuals in the world, really at the root, they're looking for that acceptance. They're looking for that. And you know, I just interviewed a buddy who was just formerly incarcerated and, you know, he was dealing with a lot of people who were really in it and who really had grown up in challenging circumstances without love in their lives. And I asked him, dude, do you think like everyone is capable of love? And he's like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, even the hardest criminals and people that never had that privilege in their life are aching for it and are Mm. are searching for it. How has your definition of love evolved um, through the time of doing all this research? Well, I used to be in the camp where it was just like, yeah, it's this feeling, it's this kind of evasive thing that comes and goes and it's this warming of the heart and 
It's very kind of ethereal. And it got into actually like, no, there's there's actually like a real love is activism. Love is a choice I can make every day. Um, love is the belief in the possible, the belief in the potential of anyone, any world, anything to be greater. Mm. Um, and it's also the acceptance of where they're at, you know. And and that is something that I've learned through study and uh, through reading a lot of the folks I mentioned. Mm-hmm. We build a lot of um, <clears throat> we build a lot of walls around around ourselves and like between each other in the way that in the way that as we as we kind of grow up and go through life you start to you start to grab onto little attributes and say like well this is i am i am this and that and the mm-hmm. other thing and the sport that i do and the, the the subjects i'm good at in school or bad at in school and the kids i hang out with and all that stuff and and over time you kind of stop um you start to you start to make a lot of your decisions based on the criteria that you've built around yourself. You know, like, mm-hmm. am I? If I say yes to, to this thing that's coming up, does it fit into all the things that I've put around myself? And if, it, if the answer is no, then I'll say no to it. And if the answer is yes, then I'll say yes to it. And this kind of builds up these these walls around us. And when I don't know if you guys have ever done this, I know you have, where you where you look at somebody, where you like actually spend like five minutes, five yeah, like minutes, just ga- like eye gazing, just looking yeah. into someone's mm-hmm. eyes, yeah. <clears throat> and how when you it's do a that, very trippy, like, trippy. The it's entire, the entire, all the things that you attach to yourself and that you have attached to yourself and to other people, which allows you to to judge and make assumptions about people. That stuff falls away, and you see like the raw humanity of people and how. How it, how easily it is to then love somebody when you just look into their eyes and get lost in that sight for a moment, and no matter what your no matter what your your presupposition is about that person or your judgments or anything, you just look into their eyes and all of a sudden you can go, I'm in love with you, mm. and, and, and not in and again not in the romantic way, but in this in this far greater sense of love where and. What triggered that thought in me was when you said love is a choice, mm-hmm. that, you, that you make that choice to love somebody. And almost like the choice is made for you when you're able to really like look at somebody. And uh, I, just, I, did that, I did that exercise recently at teacher training. It was like, you know, as it always is. Mega, it's always extremely profound. Mega profound. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And also you all seem like really tight homies. And yet, Which I just met these guys. I don't know. Uh, yeah. well, we met at the airport. Yeah. We all happened to land here the same day. I was like, I have one microphone, and they were like, I have one. I have one. I have two. Yeah. Same brand. How can? <laughs> yeah. Well, weird. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with one of my best friends from childhood about love. He interviewed me on the podcast, and I really encourage you to get into it. You know, like having those conversations. What you're talking about around how we have this kind of experience of putting labels on ourselves or boxes mm-hmm. or falling into different categories, we then use those as barriers to actually get to the core of a real thing, mm-hmm. right? A real conversation or like we identify based on our favorite TV shows, sports teams, our work, whatever, our family, instead of actually you know, getting rid of all those blinders and saying like, all right, well, what are the like important things not to say that those things aren't important, but I do think that there's a little bit of a numbing out, kind of like what we do with drugs and alcohol mm. or other things where we're actually missing the point. Mm. And the point really at the end of the day, in my view, is love. And mm. so mm. to have those conversations with the people we love, it's often the hardest, right? Mm. Like how often do you talk to your parents, your your brothers and sisters, your best friends about love 
in a not like not in the romantic sense, but in like how you love them mm-hmm. and 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 what you love about them, and and really <laughs> sharing that honestly. I don't know. Yeah. I find that really hard. Yeah, it's really wild. I I and you know, just to to touch on on this for just another moment is when we did that when we did this the eye gazing experience. I run yoga teacher trainings with my mom. Oh, we own a yoga studio together and and run teacher trainings together. And when we were doing this exercise. Um, you know, we told everybody, you know, okay, so after, after practice this morning, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pair up and do this eye gazing experience. And, and so everyone pairs off and then me and my mom are like, well, let's do Let's you and I do it together. Oh. Whoa, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I did it with my mom. It was 10 minutes just, st- you know, just staring into my mom's eyes and, and, and it was in, immensely profound for me. My mom, my mom is much more of an outwardly emotional person. So like she looked at me and totally. just immediately started bawling. Yeah, totally. And, then, yeah. <laughs> and like it was just, you know, this like how many people, how many people do that? Like how just I, sit down with your mom dude, and just stare into your mom's eyes for like 15 Taylor, minutes straight. That, that is a dude, that is a very rare experience. Yeah. Dude, it and was and yeah. it was so hardcore. And how dude. like okay, so so in that moment then. Um, you know, because you were, you were just touching on this. It, there is it, to sit down and have these discussions with the people that we do and know very well. Mm-hmm. I know that I love my sister. Mm-hmm. I love my sister. I know I love my mom and my dad. I know that I love my best friends. But when we sit down and we talk about like what are the things that you love about each other and and, and why do I love you and it, it it even just saying that right now it it makes me think of wow that really. Um, provokes this this sensation of vulnerability and 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 like a squirmy vulnerability, like a vulnerability that 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 um, that is less scary and more like it's more slippery. It's more like I don't I don't know I don't know like how would I feel? I want how how did that feel for you? You know, like because here's the thing with that that eye gazing um, exercise. I, I found every time I've ever done it. You start off, and the first like three or four minutes, it's like you're trying not to laugh. You're you're try, like you're 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 immediately falling into all of these like these sort of like uh, this is awkward, huh? Like whoa, yeah. what, what but are we doing? That's, that's what the laughter is. It's like this like the discomfort. It's you right? dealing with the vulnerability. But then right. you get past, you get over that little hump, and then it's this fucking like it's this. It's it's like the kamikaze slide at at Magic Mountain, you know. Like it's it is a it is a almost a ninety degree drop into holy fuck. Here we go. Yeah. Now to do it with Uriel, to do it with your mom, what like how did that how did that feel? Like what did that what did that bring up? What I started to feel almost immediately <clears throat> was an understanding of my mom's experience as an individual rather than my mom. Mm. You know, like you look at, you look at your parents sometimes as like, you are my mom. But for a really long time before she was my mom, she was her, you know, and, yeah. and her with just you know, like you are you. Life. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I think as kids, <clears throat> yeah. you can sort of conceptualize that a little bit, but you can't really, it's really hard to wrap your mind fully around the fact that your parents and everybody in your life that you you identify that you've known for like a really long time from childhood, like they've had a whole life and a whole experience with like mega challenges and ups and downs and shitty lows and super highs and mm-hmm. and like you gave fucking 
birth to me. <laughs> like, yeah, and yeah. that there was this huge understanding yeah. of the, of the gravitas of giving birth to a human that I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I'm staring at you, and I'm like experiencing that Ooh. intensity of giving birth to me, and I'm so fucking grateful on a way on like a level that I have never understood before. It yeah. was fucking that's trippy. Yeah, yeah, because I've I've only done it with like. You know, I've done it with with a friend, and I've done it with strangers before, and like or an acquaintance. But man, that like to yeah. do it with someone that you are like really connected with, I, I it was nuts. And the first yeah. little bit was really tough because she cool. was just totally, just, a, yeah, totally a, a fucking. Mess. She was a wreck. But then she oh, pulled it together. <gasps> Brian, thank you so much. Well, I, I, I either I want to I want to take it back to to you know we sort of glossed over it, but you about a year ago you had uh, you had a seizure. Yeah. And, and due to the seizure, you ended up finding out that you had a brain tumor. Right. Let's go. Let's go into that. What would like take us through? Um, uh, basically, I guess that that night that like led to you having to go on that journey to discover like what the fuck's going on in your head. Sure. Well, I want to start by saying that the basically the previous eight months to a year, I had had some weird loss of mobility in my right foot, and I was like, couldn't really wiggle my toes the way I used to be able to. And it Interesting. bothered me. I was yeah. like, what's going on? Like, why can't I flex my foot like that? And Wait, but like in, in like a way that was like insignificant enough that you like didn't go to the doctor or anything correct. like that? Correct, yeah. It was like annoying. Um, right, but, but it, it wasn't like drop foot where like you're, you literally cannot use your foot. At, right, it yeah. wasn't completely okay. immobile, but I did notice it in certain instances and it started to be painful and certain shoes I wore were more sensitive or like I skateboard and, and, and when I would skate, sometimes it would annoy me or just like running, I felt like it was awkward. And then um, it got worse and I, <laughs> I scheduled an appointment with a podiatrist because I'm like, what's up with my foot? What do yeah. we got to do? It's clearly the foot. Right, right. <laughs> and then uh, it got, it was really bad. Um, I had basically a, one day, I'll tell you the exact day, <coughs> June 29th, 2017, I had a fever like all day. I was super sick. I went into work and I was like, I can't be here. Left, uh, was kind of in and out of fever. That night I ended up feeling a bit better um, and went out and was walking and my foot was especially sensitive. It was really weird. I was like, what's going on? My foot's really bad today. And I was limpy and just kind of like almost foot droppy. And then I got home and my partner at the time um, who who had a kid went and slept with her son because they were in the other room and I was like a mess. I was like in hot flashes and then like having to like uh, take all of the blankets off and I was freezing. It was just a really weird fevery situation. Fevers are <clears throat> fevers are so visceral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they are they can be really really intense. You yeah. I mean like people fucking hallucinate. Well, with fevers. So, so it, there was I mean it was the fever was trying to get the tumor out of my body basically. Yeah, it was like yeah, that yeah. was the body's reaction. And fevers also lower your seizure threshold, right? So they do have... Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they have a... They're they're called febrile seizures, but some kids have them when they're young. It's not really common in adults, but that's what I thought I had. I thought I just had like a fever, like a seizure that was induced by a fever. And then the doctor's like, no, that doesn't happen in adults. Let's get a CAT scan. So I I went to urgent care the next day. Well, I just glossed over the fact that I had a seizure. So (laughs) middle (laughs) middle of the night. Had you ever had a seizure before? No. This was crazy. Middle of the night, I'm sleeping. And I somehow got to bed, like fell asleep after tossing and turning, sheets on, sheets off. 
And I woke to like what felt like a muscle spasm. Like, you know, you guys ever surf and like, or whatever, like cramp up, you know? And Mm -hmm. so my leg was cramping and I'm like, oh man, that really hurts. Just chill, just chill. Like it'll go down. And, I get those and, those those terrible ones that you get in your calf in the middle of the night. Have you guys had those? That's exactly yeah. what it yeah. was, yeah, yeah. dude. Here's here's a secret. If that happens to you, you have to sit up onto the side of your bed and and plant your foot on the floor and just press into it. Mm-hmm. See, if you had done that, that Ethan, you wouldn't have had the seizure, right? And probably yeah. wouldn't have had the brain tumor. Exactly, Brian. That. I think you fucking nailed it, dude. dude. We we just figured it out. Just, I'm I'm still waiting for my honorary doctorate. Right. So yeah. you just cured brain cancer. Um, yeah. So well, I thought it was one of those, and then it kept rising. So like the like t- like the the the, the seizing seizing of my muscles went up my leg. Oh fuck! And then up my whole right side. And then it quickly came down the left, and Whoa. so like, like how long? What, what are we talking about? Like over the span of like a minute, or like for for this? I feel that sounds sound so panicky. It must to have me. been like thirty seconds, forty five seconds. Holy shit! Okay, um, because it started in the leg, and then I felt it. But by the time it took over my whole body, I had no control. And then it proceeded to like flex my spine, oh, and so whoa, dude, I literally was like starting to be pushed out my spine being curved and I'm like, my back's going to break and I have no control over this. I'm freaking out. I I literally thought my back was going to break. So all I'm thinking is like, I need to fall off the bed. I need to fall off the bed. I need to break whatever is like just taken over me so that I break this, you know, and I was, demons be gone, but I couldn't, I couldn't move really. So somehow I don't even know how I willed myself off the bed. Like I must've like had enough, energy in my body to somehow fall off the bed um my partner in the other room hears me fall off the bed she is like what was that not sure thinks that it was something else eventually comes into the room finds me unconscious on the floor i don't remember hitting the floor so i'm unconscious on the floor she kind of brings me back to consciousness just by talking to me and um i really have to pee i don't know what it is but like i think seizures maybe affect that but like for some reason i really had to go she like brings but i couldn't move like i literally was just like just kind of coming back into my body and so she brought a towel out and peed in a towel and then <laughs> just go oh, that's, that's actually a really great idea i've never thought about peeing yeah. in a towel i was thinking like how did you like did you have to go in like a bottle or something yeah, that right. would be like, like kind of difficult or were, you, were yeah. you just like i need to pee yeah, that was like my first thing. I was like, I really got to go to the bathroom, but I couldn't move. Dude, that must have been like, I'm imagining the moment when you're like, your back is like arch and you're like having this like intense, but like it sounds like you are you have this mild sense of awareness at the same time of what's going on. And like, it, it almost sounds like, you know, there's either when you're in that moment and something like that is happening to you and it's never happened to you before, it's like either like three things, like one you're you're turning into a superhero. Like your powers are just like <laughs> yeah, right. activating, right? You're, you're going super <laughs> saiyan. Super saiyan for the first time. And and that's like the only good possibility because the second one is you're possessed by a demon. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Or the third one is it's a brain tumor, right? Yeah. So it's like pretty much that's it. Right. Right? Or you've yeah. rubbed aloe vera on a really bad burn in Brazil. <laughs> yeah. That, that yeah. actually that, that just happened. Because I, I was, was like that. You were like that. It was pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, so you pee in the towel. And tells nine one one. She calls nine one one. The fire department comes. They're like a bunch of big burly non EMTs, but they were like ready to take me to the hospital. I wasn't. I was still 
not comfortable moving. I tried to move a little bit and I was super nauseous. Were you like, still in this like back cranked? No. At that point, I was just lying on the floor. Um, so I was just really nauseous. I couldn't move. Like If I moved, I felt like I was going to throw up. So I was like, I just need to lie down. Um, they came and helped me break the fever by like giving me some cold towels. That was cool. And then the rest of the night, I, we basically were like, get out of here. I can't move. I'm not going to the hospital right now. I'll go tomorrow. Like, let me just sleep it off. I didn't think it was that grave. I was like, I don't know what that was, but it's not coming back. Just, that's the- fucking <laughs> wild that that all happened. And you're like, no, 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 bro. I got it. Dude, I got it. Just that- like, I just need a nap. I just need to fucking Dude, that, would be, that would be me. That but- would be you. I, I'm like, I feel like if I was one of those firefighters, I would be like, yeah. I, look, I'm really, really gonna try to convince you here. Like, right. you should see a doctor. Well, they made me sign something. <clears throat> oh, that, of that was like, okay, you're telling us to leave. Sign this because yeah. they were ready to take me to the ER. But I, yeah, at that point, was it a money thing? Sorry, uh, sorry to like jump in, but like I know that your system here is very different from where we come from. So like, was was that like a? Uh, I don't want to deal with like the 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 ramifications of like having to go through ER in case it's nothing like like is that a because I, f- I feel like because we come from you know whatever universal health care in our country yeah I might go to the ER and I might wait for fucking ever but I'm not gonna pay for it so mm. sure let's let's go in because that that entire experience was like m- mad fuckery yeah it, so was that decision to go I got this was there anything was there anything to that, that was based on like I I just don't want to like foot the bill. Well, it's it was the headache of it all, and I was kind of like going forward and thinking like I would rather be in comfort. I'd rather since I'm not really feverish anymore. I don't right. think it's going to come back. I'll try to stay awake, um, not knowing what had really happened, and. I I had insurance, but I wasn't. I just like I didn't really trust these guys. They sure. they were aggressive. They wanted to move. They wanted to get me out as quickly as possible. I was super nauseous and didn't want to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And so if I had gotten up, <laughs> I probably would have thrown up. And I just was like, if I don't move, I'll be comfortable. So sure, I'm going to choose sure. comfort and then deal with this in the morning. And I think there's also a part of me that's like, I don't want to go through the drama. I don't want to be the burden here. Like, let me deal with this on my own terms. And yeah, I mean, maybe back the back of the head, it was like, yeah, they can't, they shouldn't take me to some random hospital. I need to go to, you know, the one that's affiliated with my healthcare. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. So, so actually the next day I went into urgent care and I'll tell you urgent care. I love, I, they're great. And that's basically like the level below the ER. And so if you are sick or you need something, you can go to these services called urgent care in the States and some of them are part of the hospitals and some are just kind of private. That's sweet because like at back home, if you're really sick and you feel before. like really shitty, but you know it's not an emergency, yeah. you have like two options. You either call your family doctor if you have one. Mm-hmm. and Which is challenging. And, and they'll want to book you like two weeks out. Right. Or you go to the emergency. Like, yeah, what, I've never like, heard of urgent or, care. Or that's, a walk-in clinic, but like it's then... Pretty, well, yeah. that's a that's I mean that's a that's a difference in private healthcare versus yeah public right, right exactly right, right, right. but yeah. urgent care like that sounds like it it fills uh, a need that like a void that we kind of have in our system mm-hmm. back home mm-hmm. yeah it was great I I loved it I mean I was I I love urgent care I've been before I've had to go since uh, for like 
simple do you, dehydration. Do you ever go stuff. just cause? Uh, <laughs> it, it's actually kind of traumatic for me to be in like hospital oh, okay. environments. So, sure. You know, <laughs> try not try to avoid it. But I am doing some weird stuff now that's related. But um, yeah, so I went into urgent care the next day. Actually, it was funny. I was thinking like, what was that? Maybe it wasn't a big deal. Maybe it was just a one-off. I called a bunch of my buddies that were in medical school or were doctors. And I was like, what do you think just happened? And they're like, you should get that checked out. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you had a seizure. And I'm like, okay, is that a big deal? Like, you know, thinking like bright side, what, you know, maybe it was just a one-off. And so I went into urgent care. And turns out when you go into urgent care, like everyone's going in with a cold or, you know, something like maybe they broke a finger. I said I had a seizure last night, and they're like, "Oh, you're in the front of the line. Like you're not waiting." Nice. So turns out, you know, if you're on seizure watch and you're actually under the supervision of a medical facility, they have some responsibility to okay. address that. And so they immediately got my details and brought me in, and then they gave me a CAT scan. And the woman that was on, it was so interesting the way that this all worked out. We were sitting in. Uh, you know, an examination room. Just having got the CAT scan, the woman who was on duty was a family medical doctor. She wasn't necessarily a neuro person, um, and she came in, put pulled up the slides of my brain. You can see there's something going on there, and then she left because she got a phone call. Ugh. So I'm just like looking at this image of my brain, and I'm like, hmm, looks like there's <laughs> sir. I have some news. Yeah, right. Oh, gotta go. Just one moment. <laughs> well, then what's even weirder is the dude from the parking garage walks in and is like, so are you going to leave your car overnight? And we're like, what? what are you? And we're like, I don't know yet. I have to talk uh, to the doctor. Is, she just went to take a call. This, this, is, the, this is a fucking scene straight out of, uh, out of Curb Your Enthusiasm, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Like, essentially, the valet told me I had a brain cancer. Yeah. yeah. Actually, no. Even funnier was they were like, okay, so so you need to go to the ER because we have to do more tests on you and run an MRI and like just give you stuff and like the ER is equipped. So I did end up going to the ER. Now like you could drive there or you could take an ambulance. You drive there, you're going to wait in line when you show up. The ambulance is VIP. They put you right in. Yeah, and, and they so, go fast. And they go fast. And, and they have co- lights. And it's covered and all this stuff. So then. First of all, the the family medicine doctor who eventually comes in and tells me what's going on is like, you have a brain tumor, don't worry about it. They just open up your brain. You'll probably be awake when they do it, which is really cool. And they'll just scoop it out like a piece of flan. Don't even worry about it. And I'm like, so cash. Cool. Yeah, she's super cash. And I kind of like dug it. I was like, some some doc like it's not easy to deliver hard news. And I like that she chose the humor route. Like she must have felt into me and be like, this guy can take it. Yeah. But like I for whatever reason I went with it and I was like, cool, it's a piece of flan and forever and more flan will be a joke in yeah. my family. <laughs> um but it was also like yeah, and having experienced other bedside manners, I realized actually that was kind of dope what she did. But at the time I was like, Oh, this is a little scary. I don't exactly know what you're talking about. Then the ambulance drivers strap me up and they're like, well, you're on seizure watch, so we got to strap uh, you in in case you have a seizure. And I'm like, oh, God. You're like, I'm feeling <laughs> like pretty You're chill. treating me like, uh, like put me in a straitjacket here. And then they're like, so you got brain cancer, huh? And I'm like, what? You're like, like, I don't know, man. I, I'm literally just. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the first time the C word's being used. Oh, shit. So because she didn't say that. She just said brain tumor. Yeah. Right. Which like. And you don't know, actually. Yeah. Like when you have a tumor. 
Um, you don't know until you go in there and you take out some tissue and you it analyze it. it. Yeah. yeah, and then then you figure out what you're dealing with. And so that was pretty poor form on the on the ambulance driver's part. But whatever that dealt with that. <laughs> what a way to make conversation. So eh? crazy. Yeah. Like, so cancer, eh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> What's yeah. that like? Right, yeah. basically. Yeah. That was yeah. then, then I'm in the ambulance and they give me all my documentation and I call my folks and they live in Boston on the East Coast and they were at the airport about to take a vacation in Bali and their plane was delayed. They would have been on the airplane and I call them. I'm like, hey guys, uh, what are you up to? And they're like, oh, we're just at the airport. Our plane's delayed. We're having dinner. I'm like, cool. Um, so I'm in an ambulance don't worry, I had a seizure last night. It's cool. Yeah, the doctor was super um, chill about it. But I was kind of like still saying, like, take your vacation. Like, let me figure this out before you do anything rash. They're like, okay, we're gonna reroute. And so they came out to LA pretty much immediately from oh, there. Oh man, and canceled their vacation. I felt bad. But um, I was just in Bali, and now I'm in LA, and they're both pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> we had a good time. It was 4th yeah. of July weekend. Yeah. Like, it was cool. Like, we, we had like a good time, but it was also traumatic in many ways. But I was in the ER for a few days and they did ran MRIs and we had to, do, you know, the people, the neurosurgeons came in and were talking to me about what they wanted to do. And, do you remember what was like going yeah. through your head at that time? Like, like what your thoughts and feelings were about hearing that word cancer and like learning about the brain tumor? Yeah, what was going on? It was interesting, actually. Um, I, I was kind of like, wow, this is what it's going to be. This is what's happening. Okay. Like, I was kind of just processing it as it was coming in. And I was optimistic that I was young. It was going to get dealt with. The way that doctors were talking to me, for the most part, was generally, we're going to work through this. This is the process. And so, like, when you get into an, a diagnosis, in the Western medical system, there's a process. And so essentially the process becomes your religion and that's your faith, right? So you're like, okay, cool, like surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, we're doing this, you know? And then it's like, we're going to address this, we're going <coughs> to kick its ass, it's going to get out of your head, and then you'll move on with your life. Unfortunately, as you go deeper into the process, you realize it's not exactly that cut and dry. I thought... Just Make, like religion. Right. <laughs> True that. Yeah. So so the you know, the surgeon, for example, you know, it's not just a piece of flan they scoop out. You know, he took out twenty percent. A good surgeon will not normally will be very conservative, right? Because they don't want to take out your brain. They want to take out Ooh. just tumor. And the difference between tumor and brain is hard to tell. So they he took out twenty percent of the tumor. And I wasn't, I wasn't awake for it. I, they put me under, but they ran an electric current through my body the entire time so that they could test. It's over my motor strip, which controls my right leg. So everyone listening, yeah. if, you're, if you're having stuff with your like mobility or like sensation in your body, it very much could be your brain. So just like, don't be don't afraid of that. Don't only go to the podiatrist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but generally speaking, I think that's a lesson. Like, mm-hmm. We need to treat our whole bodies and not just like the source of the pain. Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this word from our sponsors. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper. 
and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I, I know that um, we've spoken to a few people who have um, brain tumors in the past, and uh, I know that when the tumor's in a certain area, sometimes it's it's not accessible mm-hmm. and you can't actually remove it. So did they talk to you at all about the position of where it was in relation to like how that would affect um, the operation? A little bit, yeah. I mean, so mine you can basically see. I mean, it's it's right. Oh, shit. Yeah, right at the notice. top there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's crazy is I used to live in Sydney, and uh, I, I I got mugged when I lived in Sydney, and I took a Jack Daniels bottle to the head right there. No. Yeah. So it's like holy shit, dude. Yeah. And people talk about head trauma that's and that being glass. something that's hard. Right. It didn't break. So oh. people talk about uh, head. I had to get stitches, but head trauma apparently like stays with us you know there's a lot of talk about american football and oh, the yeah. issues around head trauma yeah, that, that come up there and so i i wonder if there's a correlation between you know that location and having been mugged <laughs> and taken a bottle Ooh. like 10 years before man it's interesting because a lot of people that we've spoken to um when they discover tumors in their body it's because of like an impact or something that happened yeah. in that area that kind of provoked them to look into yeah. um, that area further. That's and really the, interesting. Yeah, Even like really Terry Fox, you know, Terry Fox got in a car accident and hit his leg. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's the story. And and he was like, man, my leg feels all fucky. And they're yeah. like, yeah, it's a car accident. He's like, I know, but there's something else going on. And then they opened him up and they're like, oh, that's like mm-hmm. hardcore bone cancer in your leg. Yeah, our friend Brandon, Whoa. same thing. Same thing. Brandon dropped a dumbbell down his thigh and was like, fuck my thigh. And then like, you know, next next thing you know, but like now, is that is that I I don't know if that's the correlation I, does not mean that's causation. right. I feel like it's like, you know, well, what happens is we we maybe we the tumor inflamed. was there, and, yeah, and you got that hit on the head, and and then that just kind of like, you know, well, the was, tumor was the that sleeping was a, dragon. That was, was a decade like, before, right? You were saying that that you got hit in the head like way way two thousand seven, yeah, yeah, and I got my so ten years later, right? That said, so. So there's inflammation, right? And there's mm-hmm. sensitivities. And, and so like, yeah, when you have a wound, you know, you need to understand that like that area take, can take a while to heal. And yeah. sometimes it's the most susceptible. So if there's cancer that would sh- pop up somewhere, most yeah. likely it's going to go to the place that's the weakest where right. there's yeah, yeah. less defense against it. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah and yeah, so yeah. it showed up there. Um, yeah. So the went to surgery and, and, and got 20% of it removed. Um, and then after surgery, I started to have focal seizures, which are basically like leg spasms, kind of muscle spasms in my right leg. And that, a lot of that felt like it was kind of tied to the electricity they were running through my body when they were doing the, the treatment, like just like having this current go from my brain to my foot. Crazy. Uh, it was almost like residual shock waves, but I, I still get them every couple of months and I take seizure medication for it. Um, but uh, yeah, then healed from the surgery. It took about two weeks before I got my staples out, and I can show you photos. It was pretty intense. And then went came back to LA. I, I did that in Boston, so I was okay. fortunate enough to have my 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 surgery in Boston. 
and heal with my family. And then we came back to LA. So did they, when they remove that, do they biopsy it to mm-hmm. tell if it's benign or malignant? Yeah. So they took out the tissue and I had, just before I came back to LA, I, I got the news that I had an anaplastic astrocytoma grade three, which is a type of brain cancer. Um, glioblastoma is the most notable brain t- cancer and it's the most <coughs> intense, but anaplastic astrocytoma is the kind of other one, another one right. that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so... And, our, uh, and, and, our second guest that we ever had on the podcast, he had an anaplasia astrocytoma no way. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, it's unfortunately seems like it's becoming more common, especially among young men. Mm-hmm. Usually brain tumors, what I heard was it was like mostly older men that, that got brain tumors, but lately it's become more how, common. How old are you? I'm now 34. 34, okay. Mm-hmm. Now that was, the surgery was how long ago? Uh, 2017, summer. Okay, have you, have you had surgery since? No. So that was the only one that you've, you've done so far? Yeah. And what's the, where are you at now? Like where, what's, what's the prognosis? Yeah. So I came back to LA. (coughs) I started a, uh, radiation and chemotherapy protocol, basically six weeks of radiation where I'd go into this crazy contraption machine and like get blasted with focused laser radiation beams, kind of thus my hair is growing back patchy. And then I took chemotherapy drugs for six months, uh, which wasn't super intense, but they did have me s- do some things beforehand because like, there was concern that it might affect my sperm count. So I had to go freeze your, freeze your little swimmers. Yeah, which was pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Where are um, they right now? Some fridge here I think in they're LA? in Pasadena, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. What's that process like? Like when you, when you do that, where do you go to oh, do that? Dude, it's weird. And um, do they actually give you porno? Yeah. So <laughs> here's the deal. They didn't give me shit. When I went, well, I, but I didn't get my ship frozen. I went to just make. I went to test to see if I actually had swimmers. Oh, cool! And I just went into a room, and I was like, "What the? F- oh, where's interesting. The, where's like the? Where's this? Where's the spank bank? Must be the Canadian system. I don't know. I yeah, we're yeah, <laughs> we're we're still we still. I don't think our we we. I don't even know if a lot of Canadians know what porn is. It's it's just catching on. <laughs> it's quite new. It's it's just Jared, I don't think I've ever heard your story about that. that experience. We should talk about it another time. Yeah, we but, will. Um, we'll get into it. But Ethan, I'm I'm interested. Yeah. What what was that experience like? <laughs> well, so I went to a fertility clinic. So most of the people there were trying to have babies. Um, and doing artificial insemination and all sorts of things to do that. They also happen to have, you know, a spot for me to gather my sperm. And so I went into this room and the room did have a TV with pornography on it. I did not partake in that. And it, it was also like had like a plastic covered chair. It was a little bit of a weird vibe. <laughs> it's kind of gross. It was like, did, did you, it was like did, nice, but not nice. And then they had like a, you know, like you pee in a cup. It was basically like... Yeah, you know, same thing. But like your grandma. Did, did you at least check out the options, or was it just one channel on the porn? No, they had a lot of options, but the only one that I saw was like I think it said like Wicked. You know, that was like the only one that I yeah, saw. I love that one. And yeah, and I just no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get into it. Um, it but sounds I, like a very hard place to get into it. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It was I was in there comedic. for seven hours. Yeah. Yeah. I came out, yeah. sweating, just sweating bullets. <laughs> my shirt was soaked. Right. It was a. It was. My arm was just jacked. And up. you went. <laughs> and you went. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an interesting thing. It was very weird, but made it through nonetheless. And um, yeah, I haven't. I have to check in on that. But 
Yeah, so did the chemo and then um, started to get regular MRIs. I actually, as soon as I came back to LA after surgery, I went into a ketogenic diet. I was going to ask about the keto stuff because uh, that was actually, that was also uh, uh, originally a diet that was made for um, people who were suffering from epileptic seizures. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was wondering, like, do, do they also kind of, uh, recommend that for for any and all types of seizures? Is that a... Yeah, it helps reduce seizures. It's mm-hmm. also shown to... Um, well, there's a theory that's the metabolic theory of how cancer grows. And the, that theory is that cancer cells require, especially brain tumor cells, require glucose mm-hmm. to grow. And so if you minimize glucose intake in the body, which is sugars, uh, you can actually... Um, keep a tumor from growing. And so I went into a diet that essentially shifted from getting my energy from sugar to getting my energy from fat mm-hmm. and very is specific it, fats. Is that something that they like um, make you aware of or is that something that you found in doing your own research? Found in doing my own research, yeah. yeah. Did Brandon do that through his own research or was his medical team telling him to get on keto? I'm not sure. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. What's interesting about... When you say you come to that through your own research, what I just find about what interesting about the medical profession overall is how is how focused everything tends to be, and like you're not you're even though that seems like a very easy link to make for somebody who's in the in that field to go hey and also you might want to look into a ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. but like you. That would that's probably so rare, even though it seems like such an easy link to make, because they just don't seem to. Because like I'm a, a, a <laughs> neurologist and not a dietitian type right, of thing. Right, exactly. Even though it's kind of the same as us, it's like well, we don't need to have psychology degrees to like have a chat with people about some tough shit that's mm-hmm. gone on in their life. And I just feel like maybe doctors don't need to be dietitians to say that a certain thing might be helpful. But I don't know. It's just it's just an interesting thing to me that you're not gonna you're probably not gonna get that information from a doctor, and you got to go and do that stuff yourself. Yeah, well, you have to be your own advocate. Yeah, always. And I, I mean that it's changing. So there's a lot more. There's research being done, and there's a lot of really interesting things around not only diet but caloric restriction. Um, and other treatments that can help support the brain. And I mean, if you listen to Tim Ferriss or some of these other podcasters, they're all about keto. Keto is kind of a trendy diet right now. Mm -hmm. Intermittent fasting. and and, Yep. And a lot of that's related to just brain health. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also long term, like longevity in general. It's interesting because, um, like <laughs> I, so I'm really interested in, in nutrition. I do my own like reading about some of this stuff too. And, and, um, uh, I've been getting into, uh, Olympic weightlifting lately. Wow. And, uh, one of the things that I've been doing is actually increasing carbs in my diet because mm-hmm. it's fuel for workouts. And also, another thing that I heard is like, is carbs fuel, fuel your brain as mm-hmm. well. So, I'm interested in like the long term effects of like being on a keto diet and what that means. And I have like no knowledge um, beyond like reading internet articles about nutrition. So, is there anything that you have like learned specifically about, um, or any things that 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 jumps out to you that could be a cause for concern for being on a keto diet long term? Yeah, I, I know that it can have like certain effects on 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 hormones and i think a lot it's not as easy in my like from the folks that i've spoken to about it for women to maintain it 
as it is for men, I think because of the hormonal impact. Um, and also for me, it was like, cool, like I don't, I'm going to do everything I can. And if I can do a diet change to keep my tumor from growing, like easy peasy. Yeah. Right. Like that's so much better than having to go through some weird, you know, medical protocol or cut my brain open every couple of years. Yeah. And so my agenda is for the tumor not to come back. And so, yeah, I've been on a keto diet basically a year and a half um, or more. And what I've seen is there's a little bit less energy. Like there, you know, you do you do kind of sometimes have less energy, depending. Um, and if I work out, like I don't have to work out a lot to really see change. So right. I, I can you know do gentle things. Um, and then you just really have to like have the right supplements to support you because you might not be getting certain things, certain right. nutrients. But yeah, diet and, um, and and nutrition has become a huge part of my treatment, and so I'm doing a lot of different things to address that. And Is there, I do believe like that's a a great way. You know, if you think about it, we put so much into our bodies just with food. Why can't we treat ourselves with that? You know, why can't we live our best lives? Well, your body's made of what you eat, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Brian's left toe is literally turning into a piece of kale. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Is there are there anything are there any other things that you that you do to support that other than your diet? In the way that in in a lot of sports, a lot of um, a lot of a lot of teams at the top end of of many sports subscribe to the theory of marginal gains. So, like, you've got. You've got all the things that everyone's always been doing that that make the big differences, and then you get down into the nitty gritty, like the way that you eat, maybe the way that you sleep, like, and you can mm-hmm. add a whole. And you know, if you can find ten things that make a one percent difference, then you're making a ten percent positive change, and like mm-hmm. that's a big thing. <laughs> Is there anything other than your diet that you look into to support your your Absolutely. your stuff? Yeah, for sure. So I, I I have a mental health practice. I have a like a, a body worker that I work with who does energetic work with me. Um, I do meditation regularly. I do movement practices regularly. I take. I'm on a protocol called the COC protocol, which is like a series of generic drugs that I take that's meant to shrink tumors. I just started a three month trial of an IV treatment where I go in twice a week to get a high dose vitamin C drip. Um, and a, and a naturopath cool. clinic. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm I'm gonna switch that out to maybe some ozone therapy after three months to see how that works. But um, yeah, I'm all about going after it with all sorts of different things. As long as they're not harmful, mm-hmm. um, I can generally afford them, and um, you know they can support my best health. You know, and yeah. if I if I believe in them and and they feel good, then I'm down to try it. Uh, of those things, like what do you? What, is, is there anything that you're like, yeah, this is definitely making a noticeable difference for me? Well, I'll tell you when I went into keto, like that initially was huge. Um, but I'd say some of the most impor- impactful stuff that I've done has been the mental and the and the mm-hmm. body work. Mm-hmm. Like having regular practice around my mental health and my physical, literally energy body, energetic body, and how I deal with that. Um, you know, we are much bigger than our skin. You know, you can feel me touching you without me touching you, right? So, like w- the the fact that even like our presence, right? Like we exist with presence that can exist so much bigger than ourselves. And especially with digital media, we can amplify that using these tools and whatever we have. And so just becoming aware of the impact, and this goes back to being a love extremist, the impact we have on the world is 
also the impact the world has on us, right? And so we're just, you know, we're sensitive. And, and when you acknowledge your sensitivities, uh, you really need to learn how to live with them effectively and not get bowled over by them. And I think I had been on such a protocol of kind of numbing out to them or, you know, I was the CEO of a business before I, um, and I stepped down from that when I got sick. But, you know, that, that was something that really, I think, took a hit on me emotionally, mm. psychologically, you know, and there's a lot of stress around that, a lot of responsibilities there that I wasn't, you know, handling very well. Uh, coming back to the, the, the love activism, mm-hmm. you know, this, this all, this all began before your, your, your bout, uh, with, with brain cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, how did this experience of, of, of dealing with your tumor and, and, Going through all of that, how did that how did that inform or or play a role into the way that you approach love activism activism now? Yeah, well, <laughs> basically, when you have a check in with death, things become very clear. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd kind of discovered it, and it was very much like I think we learn things in our brains first, and then we learn them in our bodies and like in our souls. And so it's very easy to conceptualize things and to like be like, yeah, I'm an activist for love. This is what I believe in. But it wasn't until I actually got a chance to face my mortality when it was like, oh no, I'm going to actually embody this for the rest of my life. And this is the only thing that matters. Mm. And so, yeah, it completely shifted the way that I approached it. And I went from being the CEO of a business and having this kind of hobby thing of like, oh, I'm a love extremist to being like, no, I'm a love extremist. And I'm in fully. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I'm being called. I felt literally like I was being called. Like, like this came on almost a divine intervention, if you want to call it that, to, to really say like, no, like you're, you're naturally <laughs> have leadership abilities. You naturally have a vision for this. You need to live the rest of your life in this purpose mm-hmm. and not get in the weeds necessarily um, around things that might not fuel your purpose as much. Not to say I wasn't, I mean, I was doing an interesting job. I, I had a really cool company I'd built uh, around clothing and apparel customization. And I also um, had started to kind of lose the passion that I initially had for it. Yeah. I was 10 years in on that. And yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, I I love the, the, these are the conversations that like I just strive to have on the show, you know, and and hearing hearing those, I feel like a lot of people who are listening to this are are they're not hearing anything that they don't already know, mm-hmm. but they're gonna hear it and go, oh yeah, right, yeah, why, why, <clears throat> of course, like, when you course, hear it, why when, you, it? when you hear it in the right way, maybe maybe the right way is not the the right way to say that, but. In a certain way, yeah, that's right. It, like, it kind of like you're, you're kind of catching the right frequency of, yeah. how, you, of how you describe something. Um, and I'm sitting here listening to that and going and just hearing all these amazing parallels with um, with the yoga philosophies that I that I teach mm-hmm. and uh, and how and how it goes from how it goes from something that you can conceptualize and like you can go, yeah, I'm a love activist, but then you know something prods you or something pushes you over the edge, and then and then, oh, I'm I'm a love activist, like right. for real, Ooh. in a different way. Ooh. It kind of goes from the outer layer to the inner layer, and all these things. And and, I, and I'm going, okay, that's like catching my frequency very, very viscerally, and I and I feel it. And I think a lot of people will that'll come across to a lot of people that mm-hmm. they'll feel what they'll they'll vibe on what you're saying very strongly and very truly because it's very uh, I don't know, it's very accessible. It feels very accessible. Yeah. So 
Yeah. Well, I also think that there's tra- there's kind of a travesty of like having to go through the trauma to come out the other side and be mm. able to like say like, all right, so I've been through this trauma and is what I've learned. And yet most people need their own traumas or something to mm-hmm. compel them to actually embody something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I I can scream till I'm blue in the face about how we all need to be activists for love, but you know, sometimes it requires something, something to wake you up. To wake you up. That's yeah. not someone else. It's just like <laughs> you, you wanting your parents to change, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like you can tell them you want them to change all you want, but like they're going to change in their own time. Mm-hmm. And similarly, so, you know, any anyone else, I think. Yeah. Unfortunately, I would never wish this on anyone, and yet I'm infinitely grateful for what it's mm-hmm. brought about in terms of the changes in my life. And speaking yeah. speaking of that that challenge of like of really um, having to face your own mortality, um, how how has uh, this whole experience changed your outlook on on death? And you know, one of one of the things being someone who like hasn't lived with a, a chronic or terminal illness. Um, the concept of death and dying for me is something that feels really distant. Mm-hmm. Like if I, I think if I keep going at this trajectory, I'll live till I'm old age, quote unquote, um, and and I'll face death when I'm because of natural causes when I'm older or whatever that is. But being diagnosed with a a brain tumor, how has that kind of changed your? Um, Outlook on your life and like the the timeline of like when you'll die and and how is that informed like the way that you live right now? Well, it's interesting because similarly, so I had mentalized this practice that I was doing every day where I would I would tell myself death is promised, and so that's part of my meditation and my daily practice before I get this diagnosis. But I so I mentally registered it. Um, but then the physical happened, right? And then it's like, Ooh. oh shit, death is promised. Mm. Okay, and it's like that. It's like the concept Ooh. that Taylor was just talking about. Like it's on that <clears throat> that kind of surface level. Like you understood the idea that death is promised. I think that that's an awesome way to to say it too. And and uh, but then like going through that experience of, of finding out that you had a brain tumor, that like kind of mm. sunk it into a more visceral level. Like right. the difference between understanding and knowing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ooh. Exactly. And so. I, I would say um, for like, I don't know if this is motivating information for you or not, but like the circumstances of your passing are not in your control. And so, you know, it's, it's good to embrace that reality, I think, mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, there, there are some things that are in your control. You can be safe. You can, you know, you can be careful around what you eat or what you do or how you take care of your body. There's a lot you can do that is in your control. And we all have to acknowledge that like any number of circumstances that might be beyond us could say you're done, right? Mm-hmm. Like this body, we're done with it. <laughs> and, and, and just to that, to that reality, I think um, the more that we can step into that awareness every day, the more life we can live, right? So mm-hmm. talking about the, the man you interviewed the other day with the broken heart syndrome, mm. I totally relate to that. I think, to be in conscious like awareness of mortality is to live a fuller life mm-hmm. and to choose life every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing to live at, in love every day, right? And with that as my purpose, with that as my North Star. And really working on refining that because it's still a process and I'm mm-hmm. still learning that every day. But I, I don't know if I answered your question, but I guess... 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's similar to that quote, the quote, Jared, that you, you love. What is it? The fear of The death? fear of life follows from the fear of death. Uh, a man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. Yes. You know, it's like totally agree with if that. you if you spend your entire life fearing death, then you're not truly living. So once mm. you, like get that out of the way and then once you do, bam, you are you are living every moment like you are making the most out of the time that you have left because, you know, it's going to come. So great. Let's mm-hmm. let's do something about it now. And, and yeah, that's yeah. and that's kind of the way that I think like I talk about, you know, imagining that my timeline is on this trajectory to die of natural causes when I'm much older, but like, you know, when, and, and death does scare me sometimes when I think about it, but when I try to find that comfort in, in the idea of death, I think of that quote a lot because, you know, as long as I'm doing my best to live fully now, Mm -hmm. then when I die, I die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I also, I, I don't know, have regret. I've lived an incredible life. I've had so much amazing opportunities, beautiful relationships, great friendships. I mean, that was just reiterated when I got sick. I mean, the community that was around mm-hmm. me just like came up and was so supportive and beautiful and it's overwhelming. But one of my close friends came to me and we actually had a pretty intense conversation. He was like, hey man, are you ready to die? Are you cool if, if this is it? And I was, I was like, yeah, I am. You know, And I mm-hmm. came to that, that conclusion. I was like, you know what? Like, my life has been amazing. I don't want to, but if it, if it's going to happen now, like cool, like I won't be pissed. I won't feel like I missed out on yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> out of all of this, what would you say is the biggest thing that uh, that your your experience with brain cancer has taken away from you? Well, it's taken away a fear of death. I'd say that's a big one. Um, I think it's also like. In the process of taking away, um, kind of like a fear, a fear of purpose or or, or conflating purpose with livelihood, um, and how I th- I'm still working through this, but tr- working through how livelihood plays a role in my day to day, and making a living so I can support myself and my medical costs and all the things happening, um, and. I think that is a less that's the next lesson that I'm learning is like how can I step into a life of purpose that supports me and mm. is in alignment where it's not like I'm making you know my livelihood somewhere and I'm doing my purpose work elsewhere but it's all unified and and, and connected and I believe I I'm getting there and it's it's starting to show its path. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Mm. Uh it's given me uh, a new outlook on life. Um, it's it's definitely created a really strong, like no bullshit meter for my life. Where as soon as I notice like certain things that feel like dramatic or tense or just like not in alignment with um, my best self, I, I kind of identify them and take a course of action to remove myself or you know address them. You know. Mm. Um, but I don't really have the bandwidth or the time or attention for stuff that isn't um, that isn't in service to the greater good. That isn't kind of in alignment with the love that I am cultivating in my life. Mm. And so I think I've gained a certain awareness around that. 
Uh, Ethan, I want to thank you, man. <clears throat> I want to thank you for taking the time. I'm so glad, Ben. Uh, we, you know, you were you were recommended to reach out to from from friend of ours, Ben Nempton. Um, and also, that. actually, a good friend of mine, Dina Robertson. I asked her what what was up, and she she also mentioned you. Um, and the truth, yeah, yeah, yeah. She ever, um, and so are you. Like I, you know, this mm-hmm. is this was uh, this was a really <clears throat> a really wonderful opportunity to sit down and 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 chat with you. Um, how do people how do people see what you're up to? Where can people go to find your shit? Yeah, thank you for asking. And this has been such an awesome opportunity. I've I've never felt more embraced by Canada than I am today. <laughs> this is awesome. We can um, sing the anthem if you want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's good time. We are known to bust out into our national anthem on the show from time to time. <laughs> no, we don't have to make it too. Too colonial. But, um, so I am Ethan Lipsitz, E-T-H-A-N-L-I-P-S-I-T-Z on Instagram. Um, my platform is Extremist Love, which is www.extremist.love. Uh, and then Love Extremist Radio, which is not Extremist Love, is Love Extremist Radio. You can search mm-hmm. for that. It's a podcast. It's on every network. And uh, we interview people and talk about love and it's pretty dope. I just released an episode with a formerly incarcerated dude named Richie who does incredible work and had some incredible insights about love and patriarchy and we're always having cool combos. So those are the main spots where I'm sweet. hanging out. Sweet. Cool. Go check it out. Uh, and you know, especially if you're in the US, go over to Apple Podcast, mm-hmm. rate, subscribe, leave a review. Um, and same thing, Canada, if you're up there. Um, <clears throat> Uh, today, do it right now. Go over Love Extremist Radio. Thank you. Rate, subscribe, review. Appreciate and, uh, you, dude. I I really I'm super into what you're doing. I think Thank it's really you. cool. Thank you. I ha- I have treats for you all. I have some Love Extremist pins I brought. So. Oh hell yeah, yeah. 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 This, this is a trip them. of pins. We're getting a bunch of pins on this trip. This is great. Pins and magnets. Yeah, that's it. It's, yeah. It's uh, wave. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thanks again, dude. This meant a lot. Yeah, I really thank appreciate you it. Guys. And thank Amazing. you all so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back next week, as we always are, for another fascinating conversation. But in the meantime, uh, like I just said, you should do for Love Extremist Radio. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and uh, rate, uh, review, and hit the subscribe button and tell 10 friends to do the exact same damn thing. Especially if you live here in the U.S., uh, we're, we, you know, we've kind of got a monopoly on the on the Apple Store in Canada. We're killing it, but in the U.S., yeah, I, I don't actually know it. I'll check your phone after because I want to know what what our ratings are looking like here. Cool. But uh, yeah. in the U.S., if you're here, if you're if you're a United States citizen, um, hop on and do it. And if you want to chuck some financial support our way, we would very much appreciate it. We're able to have these amazing conversations down here with Ethan and all the people that we've talked to. Um, and all the things that we've been able to do here in LA. Go to patreon.com slash sickboy to do that. That's patreon.com slash sickboy. We love you. And uh, if you wonder why it sounds like uh, a countdown for a rocket ship blasting off right now, that's just because uh, Donovan, the meerkat Morgan, is so amazing at the sound design of the show. He's just launching this show forward into the future. Yeah, so is it is it going to launch? It is just that blasts happening? it off. Yeah, dude. It just blasts it off? Woo! It's been three years. We're finally launching. Yeah. Okay. Bye, Brian. All right. See you later, guys. Um, Yeah. Thanks. And uh, thanks to uh, the band formerly known as Take Part, formerly known as Florida Man, and And currently known as uh, Jimmy's, I think. Jimmy's. Jerry's? No, Jerry's. Jerry's. Uh, (laughs) Horrible name, guys. Change your fucking name. Yeah, I hope. We'll we'll talk with them. We'll talk. I hope it's different (laughs) after this. But yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, That is it for this week. 
I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Ethan. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.